All right, I am now live. I uh, just used a fancy transition there. Let me push record here on this other iPad here. That way, if the computer crashes, I still got a recording going and uh, we should be able to save what we've got. But I really don't know what I'm supposed to do if the uh, computer crashes. Am I supposed to start a whole new live stream? Do I continue the recording? Well, We'll just figure it out as we get there. I'm not much of a planner. I uh, I hope you all had a good week. I certainly did. I got to go to Ashland, Kentucky. I got to see all these uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we had a great time. We had the Lord's Supper. If you haven't had a chance to travel to Ashland, I recommend you do. Of course, that's Henry Mahan's uh, old church. He used to pastor and teach in for... A long time and there are still a lot of people there I think oh I estimate there was maybe oh about a maybe 150 people there that uh, this last Sunday and it was great I, I mean just so many people to talk to you and if you're like me I come from no big church background uh, well, I take that back. I had a big church background when I was a kid and when I was in false religion. And then once I came to believe the gospel, I found it really difficult to find new churches that had a lot of people. If you find if you found what you thought was a Sovereign Grace church, you discovered that there weren't many people in it, especially around here. And so when I discovered 13th Street Baptist Church in Ashland, Kentucky, I was just amazed at how many people were there and how many of them loved the gospel. And you could hear Jim Bird get up there and speak a message that most people would call hyper-Calvinist. And you had everybody there loving it. I, I just never had experienced anything like that. And it's been a real blessing and a real joy to me. I actually desired to move there someday. That's how much I like it. I don't know how soon I'm going to be able to make that happen. Maybe this year, maybe next. Probably not. We don't know. But I do want to at least maybe retire to there. And uh, that's something I've got to figure out how to do. But uh, in the meantime, I will continue to visit them around once a month. And they have a... Uh, Sovereign Grace Conference coming up that I went to last year. It's coming up this November. Gary Shepard is going to be there, a very dear brother and somebody who I respect. Uh, Norm Wells is going to be there. Craig McClosick uh, goes to his church there in uh, the Dalles, Oregon. And uh, who's the third? Oh, Tim James, of course. Tim James is going to be there. Tim recently had a heart attack and had surgery, but he's recovering well and actually preached... Uh, last night. I didn't get a chance to listen to it yet, but I'm sure it was good. His daughter Sarah is in the hospital and she's re she's recovering from her first chemotherapy treatment for leukemia. So if you would, keep all of them in prayer as the Lord wills. Now, I've gotten some good feedback. I really do appreciate all the positive feedback y'all have, have been sending me. I I appreciate any negative feedback you might send me to. I'm just, I'm looking for uh, criticism. I'm looking for comments, things that I can do to improve the, these messages. 
and hopefully they can be of value to God's people out there. I, when I first sat, sat down, I wanted these, these messages to be kind of short. I still intend to do that. I, I, I really like sitting down and listening to short bites. When I hear somebody teach or talk about stuff, I don't like sitting down and listening for hours. But sometimes I do. It just depends on the topic. I don't plan on preaching like you would see from my pulpit. I'm not standing by behind a pulpit. I'm just a normal guy sitting in a chair talking. I wish you all were here with me so I could actually talk to you. I still don't like the idea of talking to a computer screen and not getting any feedback. I don't know how these gospel preachers get up there on a pulpit day in and day out and preach and not hear anybody talk back to them. I Maybe they maybe they can handle it. Maybe they like it after the uh, sermon, but I, I, I like to have discussion. I like to have interaction. Maybe I'm more of a Sunday school type of guy. I don't know. But I just prefer to talk to people. I'm not used to monologues. But I'm, I'm going to try to keep doing that. I, I hope to improve. So there are no rules for these live streams. I, I don't prepare anything in advance too much. I, I have a full-time 40-hour-a-week job. I, I can't spend a lot of time preparing sermons. And like I said, I like to speak informally. Formal presentations just don't seem to be my style. So I apologize if that's what you're looking for. And I also believe I'm much better at writing articles than talking. I'm better, than, I'm better at writing than I am at speaking. However, I know that uh, not everyone's style of learning uh, and comprehension comes from reading. I understand that there are a lot of saints out there that uh, benefit much more by listening or watching somebody instead. So that's why I'm doing these. And I don't know how long I'm going to do it. I intend to do it week in and week out for until who knows. I don't think it's going to be every week. I'm sure there will be some weeks which I'm not able to do this. And so my my topic today, there are actually a couple topics, but the first one is justification from eternity or eternal justification. Now I know if you're out there watching, I know there are some people that are going to be really happy with this because uh, you don't hear too much uh, spoken about it, not from the pulpit anyway. I have heard some good ones. I heard an excellent sermon on justification from eternity from the late Bill McDaniel on Sermon Audio. And if you're interested in hearing that, I can give it to you. He's going to be able to preach it way better than I ever could. But this is just an introductory, uh, introductory discussion. And, uh, of course, Bill Parker has written some good articles on it. The king of justification, the king of the doctrine of justification from eternity, I would say, is the, the Dr. John Gill and also Dr. George Ella, I believe, has written a great book I read oh, maybe 15 years ago on John Gill and the doctrine of justification from eternity. I have it. I don't think you can get it in print anymore. It's a very hard book to find, but if you're interested in reading it, I'd be willing to loan it out to one of my brothers out there or maybe scan it or somehow get it to you 
But it's a good book, and I recommend you read it. So, this has been going around a lot on Facebook, Justification from Eternity. And there's a lot of confusion out there on this topic. There is a lot of opposition to this topic by by meaning brother by good meaning well-meaning brothers and there's one there's one guy out there he's vehemently against it i mean i think it's he's made it his career on facebook i think to argue against anybody who might even be inclined toward the doctrine of justification from eternity and uh so and i think people are really against it because because they have a misunderstanding of what eternity is and I think the doctrine of justification somehow clouds this doctrine in a, in a way I, I know that sounds kind of like an oxymoron the doctrine of justification clouds the doctrine of justification from eternity but let me explain I believe that everything is from eternity. And I'm not just talking about justification. I'm talking about all of our salvation. I would say everything that happens in this life, in this world, is from eternity. It's been purposed from eternity. And so, when you hear people say, oh, there's no such thing as justification from eternity, you, you, you need to... You need to, to get away from that, get away from the doctrine of justification and focus solely on the doctrine of these, these doctrines, eternity and immutability, and, and then you work your way up to what is imputation. And I think if you can't come to a, an agreement on what is eternity, the idea of talking to somebody about justification from eternity is is just crazy. It's you're not going to get anywhere with anybody on that. You're not going to come to an agreement with somebody because you can't agree on the on the concept of uh, eternity and time. And it's it's sad because I think there's a lot of confusion out there, and a lot of people are missing out on this great doctrine because they. They can't. They they can't wrap their minds around the concept. And I I admit that in in our language, in our feeble language, in our in our temporal language, it's hard to describe what eternity is. And I've struggled with it over the years. And I've tried to come up with an analogy about what eternity is and how who we are and how we relate to eternity and how God relates to eternity and or how God is eternity, and my fan's heating up, so I don't know how long this is going to go, but we'll, we'll keep going. And and so I'll get to that in a minute. But I, I believe the simple concept is God is timeless. He's transcendent of time and, and space. And he created time. And he is eternity. So therefore, if God's eternity, 
and uh, everything is from God, then everything is also from eternity. That's the simple way of understanding it. But I'm going to go a little bit further than that. And so there's a, there's a, there are a few passages that go into the eternity of God, but just don't, don't take what I have to say uh, as, as the final word on this. You need to study this for yourself. You need to open up the Bible. You need to, you need to really investigate and study. And also, I would recommend reading uh, a, the, uh, an article or a chapter on eternity from John Gill's uh, Body of Doctrinal Divinity. Excellent. Learn what eternity is. Then you work your way towards justification. So I'm going to go. I'm going to start here with uh, Psalm 139, uh, verses 7 through 13. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but from the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee, for thou hast possessed my reins, Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. And let's go to Isaiah 66, 1. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? And so, here's a couple pictures there. You, 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 can't, you can't go anywhere, and... and somehow escape God's presence. He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. And I believe that applies not just to physical places, but it also applies to um, hell and heaven. And those are physical places. And so I, I think this, this concept of omnipresence doesn't, can't be confined to just a moment in time. I think it can apply to past moments in time, future moments in time. If you were to make a time machine and somehow jump 30 years into the future, you're not escaping God's presence. He is there. And, and the heaven is the throne of God, and earth is his footstool. Those are picture, that's a picture there to describe God and, and how big he is and what and how he rules over his creation. And, and here's one, Isaiah 57, 15, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. God inhabits, he's in the, he inhabits eternity. His name is, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble. And to revive the heart of the contrite ones, and I don't think I, I don't think I can get into a proof on, on the timelessness of God on this on this video. Maybe on another one, 
But I believe, I, I've said this already, God is timeless. He's transcendent of time and space. And here's the analogy I wanted to, to talk about. And I wrote about this in one of my articles going back to 2006. And I wrote this, and I'm just going to repeat it. I'm going to quote it. So, because I, I think it might be helpful to anybody who might be struggling with the eternity of God and, and, and the creation of time. And, and, I, and, I, and I wrote, I said, imagine for a moment that time is a big ruler, which we find ourselves standing upon, and we are walking on it from left to right. So you're born in the year 1970 or 75. That's the year I was born. And it's now 1993. I graduated high school. Okay, here I am in the 1993 marker on this, on this, on this ruler. It's inch seven, <laughs> and I'm, and, I'm and as time goes by, I'm moving along on this ruler from left to right, and on it, because we're such, you know, we're such limited creatures. We we're all, we can only see what's going on in the moment. We can barely see what is going to happen on the next inch. I can't see what's going to happen in 1999, the year I married my wife, but I did. Okay, I didn't see that happening. I didn't see the next inch I was going to step across. But God sees it. He sees it before he even put me on the ruler. God's holding this ruler. He's holding it, and uh, I, I hate to use physical imagery to describe God because I don't want to put into, I don't like to put pictures of God in anybody's mind because I think that's wrong. But just for the uh, sake of discussion and the imagery, uh, the uh, analogy I'm trying to, to, to uh, convey, God's holding this ruler, and he not only sees what is coming with the next centimeter or inch, he's... He's put everything on this ruler from the beginning of time all the way to in, in, to infinity future. It just keeps, he, he's got this ruler and he sees it all. He sees it all and he sees it all at once. And on the, and here is what you have to understand. He sees a, he sees a certain point on this ruler and on this ruler is Christ, and that's the satisfaction. He's made the satisfaction for all of his people there. He, his earthly life, and his work of obedience, his active obedience, even to death on the cross, which is way more than passive. It was active. It was an active event. And he's made satisfaction. He's made an atonement. He's, he's done all these things on behalf of his people on the cross. And God's looking at that. He's holding this ruler, and he sees Christ there on, on, on the cross. And, and that is how he views us in Christ. He, he, sees, he, sees, he sees God, he, he see, I mean, he sees Christ, and he sees us in him. And he sees everything on the ruler at the same time. And so, when I say that I am justified from eternity... I'm not taking away the work of Christ, because God's looking at Christ. He's looking at Christ, and he's seeing me in him. And he's seeing me from eternity. Eternity is without time. Time is the ruler. He's holding the ruler in his hand. He's transcendent of it. He, he surrounds it. He's, it's, it's hard to describe.
I'm not very good at it. But that is how he views time, and that's how he views us in Christ. And and there's a, just don't take what I have to say here. Go study it. Go study it. Go read John Gill on eternity. It is excellent. You can't miss it. Second, what is imputation? Imputation is an imminent act. And when I say imminent, I mean it occurs solely within the mind of God. Imputation is not an act that is external to God. I've heard some people describe imputation as something that takes place in some heavenly court. No, it, the, if there's a heavenly court, it's in God's mind. And uh, it's, it, it provides, and it lies in, in his estimating, accounting, and constituting his elect as righteous. Righteous in Christ, which he sees on the cross on the ruler of time and that is that is imputation and uh, John Gill has written a lot about that more than anybody on what imputation is and how it's an imminent act of God go look it up go read it I think it will do you good and how this contrasts with the popular view of justification is I think most people who, who fight against the doctrine of justification from eternity, or eternal justification, they view eternity as not something God is. They, they view God as being, uh, they view eternity as eternity past and eternity future. And I, I, I hear even good preachers use those words. I, you not, I, even my friend Bob and, and Jim, they use those words. I, I, I'm going to try to avoid using that, that, that terminology, eternity past, because I just think it adds confusion. There is no such thing as eternity past when you think of it as an extension of time into the past. Time has a, a definite starting place, and it's on the ruler that God is holding. Um, you can't. You just can't keep going back, you know, infinitely back into the past. It, do, it doesn't work that way. And so when people say, "Oh, you believe in justification from eternity," you believe in multiple justifications. That is the one argument you're going to hear. And I say, "No, that's crazy." But I understand why you think that. I understand why you're thinking that way. It's because you think eternity is just an extension of time. You think a million years ago, in eternity past, or however many years ago that would be, God, we're saying that God justified his people in Christ, and then he waited until either the cross or you got faith, and then he justified you again. That is not what we, were, we are saying, and I can understand why you would think that's wrong, because that is wrong. That is wrong. That is not justification from eternity. That is not eternal justification. Stop thinking that way. You're, and then all, and then all you do is you, you, you naysayers out there. You go around saying, "Oh, that's heresy." He's teaching multiple justifications. Brandon's teaching multiple justifications. Listen, no, you've got a wrong understanding of eternity, friend, and you need to get it right. And before, and I'm not going to talk to you anymore about justification from eternity until we can at least agree on what eternity is. So. 
next time somebody wants to argue with you about justification from eternity, you just say, hey, let's uh, dial it back a few notches here. Let's talk. Let's not talk about justification. Let's talk about who is God? Is he immutable? And that's another thing I, I, I even failed to mention in the discussion. He, he doesn't change. God does not change. Time is something that is changing. Everything we're doing is changing. Time is described as a change from one moment to the next. God does not change. He is mutable. I um, was at Malachi 3.6. I am the Lord. It changes not. John Gill has written on immutability. Oh, a lot more than I have. Go, go look it up. Excellent. It comes from his body of doctrinal divinity. He's got a whole, whole chapter on it. And... So if God does not change, the only way, and he is not affected by what happens in time. He causes what happens in time. He, he creates time. He's holding the ruler, and he doesn't need to wait for something to happen in time for his mind to change. His mind doesn't change. That's another thing. His mind does not change. He's always viewed his people as righteous in Christ. Okay? And so that's, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. I, I consider eternal justification or justification from eternity to be the E in, in, in a, a new favorite acronym of mine that Bob Higby came up with called C-TULIP. And so this completes the C-TULIP acronym outside of TULIP. In the, in the last messages. And two, two messages ago, I talked about superlapsarianism. That stands, that's S. And uh, E is eternal justification. And A is the active decree of God. We've, we have to go beyond TULIP. We have to add C. And uh, go look, there is such a thing as a C TULIP. It's, it's, an, it's, it's pretty neat. So I, I believe in C TULIP. And uh, that is the distinction that I make now uh, when I talk to people. And uh, I got some other neat acronyms like spoof and and rose I might get into into in a in a future video. I'm also going to talk about uh, modified covenant theology, my version of uh, a covenant theology. I I divert from dispensationalism, which I think is just nonsense. You could call it heresy. I, I have a mix of mostly covenant theology uh, combined with a little bit of new covenant theology. If you're not familiar with that, look up John Riesinger and uh, Sound of Grace. And uh, so I've got a combination of covenant theology and new covenant theology that I hold to and mixed in with a few unique elements of my own and... I call it Modified Covenant Theology, MCT. I might get into that in future videos. So that's that's pretty much my main uh, discussion. That's my main topic that I wanted to talk about today. Eternal justification, mostly the E. It, it, uh, mostly eternity. And uh, So next up are questions from a uh, man named... Brett, I'm not going to use his full name, but even though he told me I could, but I'm going to go ahead and address them. I haven't even really thought about them because 
I want them to speak off the cuff and sound natural, not come up with a prepared response to uh, to Brett. But he posted on uh, Pristine Grace. Uh, I, I posted an article by Richard Warmack on the uh, page. It was about who do we con- who do we consider our brethren in Christ, our brothers in Christ, you know, and how we need to be careful. And Brett is uh, really good at asking questions, so I'll just give him that. And uh, so I, I'm gonna he he's got a bunch of questions here, and I'm gonna try to answer them for him uh, because I said I would. So Brett, if you're out there watching, this is for you. If you're not watching live, may, hopefully you watch. I hope hopefully you watch at a later date. So the, the question is is uh, Brandon. How do you know or relate to the elect that have not been called out yet? Christ knew these, knew because he knows all things. We can't and don't. And I think Brett here is criticizing the article. Well, the answer to that question is, how do I know or relate to the elect that haven't been called out yet? The answer is, I don't know who the elect are. And uh, none of us do. We can't, we, well, I can know who, I can know who the called out elect are for the most part usually you base it on their profession but walking down the street or even walking into a free will or church you can't say this person's elected this person's not elect but i don't i don't relate to them as brothers or sisters in christ if they're not professing the gospel so i don't know what's so hard about that but yeah that's that's pretty much it so, <laughs> uh, that doesn't seem like a hard question, but, uh, you're, you know, I, I don't know what else to say to you. Okay. So he, he adds, he goes, David committed murder and adultery. Are we not to love people as brethren or either pray for them to become brethren? Good question. Uh, well, we are to love people, even those who aren't our brothers and sisters in Christ. I have family members and friends or acquaintances that I I don't think believe the gospel, and because but I I don't but I still love them, so I'm kind to them, but I don't embrace them as brothers, and I and I don't swear I I don't share a a sweet fellowship in the gospel with them. It's impossible to because they don't believe the gospel either. So there's nothing to uh, ship over. There's no fe- there's no fellowship in the gospel. So I so I can't walk hand in hand with them, even though even though I might like to. But what is there? What are we going to walk hand in hand in? It's the non gospel. Well, I can do. I can certainly do that. I can. Uh, you know, I've got uh, natural brothers. I, there's a brotherhood of uh, natural family. I don't have a. I don't have natural brothers. I have a natural sister. I have my mom and dad. I have. I have in-laws that that I'm I'm bound to by marriage. I'm very close to them. I love them. Okay. So, what about people I work with? Yeah, I get along with people I work with too. I, I well, you could even say in some sense I love them. But I know those people there; they don't believe the gospel. But so I don't, I don't consider them my brother and sister in Christ. Not yet, anyway. Maybe when they come to to believe, then I would. 
And then, and Brett, you asked, uh, are we not to love people? Are we not, are we to pray for them to become brethren? That is a very good, very good question. I'm going to answer that. And I'm going to say that if you, any prayers for not for non-brothers or you could say the lost to be saved, they need to be given in such a way that we glorify God and acknowledging that we desire who God has elected to be saved uh, to to come to a knowledge of the truth, not just those we come in, 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 into uh, a natural relationship with, and not just those we love in this earthly life, you know, by uh, sentiment or family ties. But I would say there's nothing wrong with us for desiring our friends and family to uh, come to know and love the truth. I mean, that's natural. That's uh, part of, I guess, being human, <laughs> uh, human believers. But uh, I would say to pray that God would save them in a manner that invokes his favoritism toward our family line or circle of friends, uh, that's wrong. That's sinful. I, I, I would say that's, that's crossing the line. So I don't believe in praying for salvation for for everybody or just because I I want them to be saved. I pray with the uh, condition that they're obviously God's elect and God already loves them. And I ask for them for, you know, when I pray for the salvation of the lost, I, I, I pray in a way that, and I usually don't because I, well, I, I don't specifically, but I, I do ask that God would bring all of his people to, to uh, knowledge of the truth in his appointed time. That's strictly his sovereign will, not my desires. And I don't, we know that God doesn't want everybody to come to the know the truth, so why would we want to pray towards that end? I think that's, uh, I think that's sinful. But, um, that, so, I hope I answered your question there. And then you go on and you ask about my wife and son. That's a little personal, but I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. Uh, are I confident that they're both saved? Well, I can't look at anybody outside of, of... I don't have assurance for anybody outside of what I have communicated to me within my own soul. So I, the only assurance I, of salvation I have is for me. I don't have assurance for for you or or even some of my closest gospel-believing friends, including my wife and son. So, but, uh, and so you ask, if I'm, I'm not sure, what, how would you relate differently to either? Well, if they weren't believers, I'd still love them, and I'd still be kind to them, but I still wouldn't, I wouldn't, if I was married to an unbeliever, I would not consider her to be my, my sister in Christ, if she didn't believe the gospel, it's as simple as that. I don't know why that's so hard to understand, but okay. And uh, how do you know about the, their spiritual state? Uh, is it because you agree, they agree with me, or because they study themselves? Whew. Wow, that's a good one. It's a good question, Brett. How do I know anybody's spiritual state? The answer is, I don't know for sure. 
anybody's spiritual state. The only assurance I have for anybody is my own. That's the only assurance I have. I can't be assured of anybody else's salvation. Now, I can look in the past, and I, I, I'm definitely assured that the Apostle Paul, he, he knew Christ and he loved Christ. He was def he's definitely in heaven now. And I can say that for certain for for many people that I that I know. I can't say for certain, but I'd say with very good confidence. People, gospel pre preachers of the past, there's no way. Well, I'm not going to say there's no way, but uh, you know, you just have to embrace people upon their gospel profession. If you're looking at their works or whether they're studying the Bible to your satisfaction, Brett, you're looking at the wrong thing. You need to look at what they exp what their expressed joy is in. And, and even that you got to be careful about. You, you can't... Some, some believers are very new to the faith. Some are very poor at expressing their... Their understanding. You you can't just you just can't look at somebody who who says they believe the gospel and judge their enthusiasm by how often they study the Bible, okay? Or if they only go into church once a month instead of every week. You can't not you cannot look at that person and say, oh, this person's not a believer because of whatever standard righteousness you've you've added to outside of scripture outside of belief in christ uh outside of christ alone now it is true that uh, a believer is going to walk in good works a believer is going going to manifest it, it but the believer is going to manifest belief in the gospel in many ways but you really need to be careful and you need to embrace people based on the profession and you can get a good idea whether they believe the gospel or not by talking to them and so I'd be very careful about saying you're not my brother simply because they're not studying the Bible like I do uh, that's I'm sorry I think that's a that's uh that's a question I think is uh I don't know. I don't know what it indicates, but I'm not going to judge it. So anyway, I, I hope you. I hope I answered your questions, brought to your satisfaction. Feel free to reach back, reach out to me, and uh, ask me any more questions. And you know what? That leads me to a uh, another another point. And this is wow, this is going 38 minutes. This is my longest uh, monologue yet. Boy, maybe I do have a thing for this. I don't know. But in future live streams, I might just ask for people to, to give me questions to answer. I don't know if I'm answering adequately for you folks, but uh, it's off the cuff. I'm not, I'm not a very good Bible scholar. I can't just roll Bible passages off my tongue like some of these preachers can. They amaze me at their ability to preach. I don't have that ability. I'm just an ordinary guy who runs a website who has an opinion about things. So 
but some people might like that. <laughs> okay, and that's about all I got. Uh, so, uh, tell you what, uh, you all have a great day, you all have a great week. I will see you again next week, Lord willing, of course. And uh, I, I love, I love all you brothers and sisters out there. And uh, talk to you later. Bye bye.